back with another episode come correct podcast i'm here with jordan shallow dr jordan shallow the muscle doc on instagram how you doing man good man good to see you um so let's get let's get right into it i um i'm fascinated with the amount of people that you've worked with and some of the people that you have worked with um and it seems like the breadth of what you do is is what's fascinating so i guess to point this in a in a question if you could name drop oh that's where we're gonna start i know it's just, i know it's like so cringy because it's kind of like you're you're oh i've worked with this guy but it is interesting like for instance andrew schultz yep. is a really interesting one can you tell us about that so schultz actually started in this building um so the impetus to getting to meet and then working with andrew and akash and mark um and basically everyone on like the flagrant team was um they can move down here during COVID. Uh, and Hayden Bo, who's the studio we're currently using, thank you, Hayden, had just bought a new cafe racer, like old BMW motorcycle. He's parked it out in front of a coffee shop. And he took a video of these four guys, like kind of around his bike, was worried that they were going to like just rip it off and didn't realize until after that who he was recording. And these two, four guys came in, saw his helmet, started talking to him. And uh, he didn't realize until after he left who they were. They had just moved down from New York to record the podcast was in it- Miami. It was Schultz, Akash, Mark, and Dove. No yeah. way. So I was staying at Hayden's place, and he comes back and shows me the video. I was like, no f- way. I listen to that podcast all the time. Like, you know, I'm like, yo, send me the video. I'll post it, pretending like I was there. I'll tag you and them in it so you guys will connect. And he's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't give a f-. Like, send it to me. Send it. I post it on Instagram. And I tag like the flagrant podcast. I, try, I, tag, I didn't know Schultz at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew who he was from just his online presence and his comedy. So I tagged all of them and I tagged Hayden, like, oh, at, looking at, at Hayden's bike or whatever. I was like, oh, perfect. They'll like, they talked in the coffee shop. Now they'll be able to connect, see Hayden like owns this gym and all that. And uh, like, honestly, less than two minutes later, Schultz just messaged me and was like, hey, man, I'm looking for a trainer. I'm trying to get in shape. And I was like, yeah, dude, let's talk. Monday morning, this address, 9 a.m. And that was it. We came in and we kind of talked a little bit. and Got to training? Got to training. How was he? Was he a beast? Or so, yeah, it's so interesting because there's so... I ended up training Akash. I still work with Mark. Um, and I trained Andrew. And they couldn't be more different. Like, Schultz is very, like... He does great in, like, boot camp-like settings. Like, he just doesn't... He wants to be able to not breathe. Like, that's essentially... He just wants to work really, really hard. Yeah. Like, anything that just keeps his heart rate going, because he's, like, a very cerebral thinker. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Schultz is the type of guy that'll stay up to three in the morning practicing walking out on stage. Like, Mm -hmm. he's that level deep. Like, he's a very... uh, He's very switched on in that regard. Interesting. Yeah. So, when he trains, he doesn't want to think. Right. So like the first session and I'm can be somewhat cerebral in my approach to working out. Like I'm trying to explain a lot of things and like get by in that way. And then I realized very quickly, it's like, oh, like this dude just, he doesn't want to hear anything. He yeah. just wants someone just to wants stand to over him and just get his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that. And yeah, he's a, he's a dog. He's actually a really good um, boxer. Oh, really? So he has like a base of athleticism. Yeah, I, I, he always has those little quips about fighting. Yeah. Like he, he does know quite a bit about it. He's he's not a cash. Yeah, casual. he can throw hands, man. Yeah. So um, you currently work at House of Athlete. Yep. You were you're working with athletes, but you so this is why it's like it's hard to derive at a question because you can do you have, you're a chiropractor by trade. Yep. You're also 
a strong dude. So you could be a strength and conditioning coach if you wanted to. You could be like a bodybuilding coach. You could be a powerlifting coach even. Um, and also a lot of like body work and physiotherapy, I imagine, goes along with it. When like when you work with someone, do they delineate what they want or do they try? Do you try and attack it from all facets or, or what's the deal with that? Yeah, I mean, reverse engineer from the end goal. Like and even like football players are probably my bread and butter at this point, especially mm-hmm. working at HOA. Um, but it's like, what is the end goal? Because football in itself is so many different sports. Like from like a technical perspective, an O lineman is completely different sport than a kicker versus a quarterback versus a safety. Like they're just, mm-hmm. they're playing different games. It's mm-hmm. the same game of the whole, but at the level of like the biomechanical level, which are kind of making these assessments and hoping to make these improvements, they're completely, they might as well be different sports. Right. So then it's like, okay, well, what do you need to get better at in the sub game within the game that you play? Right. Do you need to get faster? Do you need to jump higher? Do you need to be lighter? Do you just need to lose weight, which is oftentimes like a, a, a real uh, a simple rock to turn over that yields like a ton of benefit with athletes? So, and then once you dive down there, then it's like, all right, well, where are you at physically in relation to this end goal? And then based off of that proximity, how sophisticated of a method do we need to approach or apply rather to start to overcome the initial bottlenecks in working you towards that goal? Do you, So what in kind of legitimizing your role as someone with some sort of a knowledge base around all of these different things, what do you feel was like the missing piece and how did you fill it? Like. Do you have kind of like this overarching thesis on what's missed by by a lot of people? Um, yeah, I definitely have like a slant on things that might be a little bit different because I had like the clinical chiro- chiropractic background, but I also had like anecdotal experience of going through like the competitive ranks of like powerlifting and mm-hmm. you know working on building muscle over the course of the last I don't know like seventeen ish years I've been training. But then also like I was a strength and conditioning coach at Stanford University, so I have like that team realistic aspect of, of training as well so um i guess it depends on each subdiscipline. uh like for like athleticism i would say maybe there's one thing that i, I would probably say more than anything else is differentiating the stimulus between strength and stability i think that's something mm. that across the board whether it's like general fitness population trainers strength and conditioning coaches at the ncaa or the pro level uh, bodybuilders rehabilitation i think that's one uh, that's one misnomer that a lot of people get tripped up with. So, you know, when we see people doing like cable external rotations to strengthen the rotator cuff, it's like, well, it's, it's not that the muscle works a different way, but stability is, is more reactive muscle contraction at the level of the muscle where when we're doing these strengthening drills of like the glutes or the spine or the um, uh, the shoulder rotator cuff serratus whatever if i'm doing like a cable external rotation that muscle contraction started in my brain which is strengthening right insertion to origin but if i have a kettlebell over my head and i'm kind of getting this like reactive contraction that's mm. sort of like autonomic that muscle contraction actually started at the level of the muscle itself right right so there's i call it like almost like a retrograde and anterograde contraction so like an anterograde would be downstream from you know your 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 brain essentially your pre and primary motor cortex but what stability actually comes from um what's called like your muscle spindles which is like if a lot of people miss the miss the boat when they look at muscles as sensory organs i think when you can understand that muscles are sensory organs you can start to see training in a different light and under that light you start to see where my approach might differ across all disciplines and really at in its simplest form 
um, it's really going to be the fact that strength is different than stability. So, but it sounds like in general, there's a, a major bias towards strength training. Like, and when you could be a bodybuilder and you could work on stability or you could, I mean, probably less so because they just literally care what you look like. It's not entirely performance-based, but that's very interesting. The goal, let's say the goal is shoulder stability because that might help with health and people are just going at it through a str with a strength bias yeah. which is like pumping blood in the area right they like that it, strength is quantifiable but a lot of what coaches and therapists do is exist in the realm of the subjective and the qualitative rather than the quantitative right like something being heavier is an easier pat on the back for people to achieve than something looking and feeling better but you know unless you're in the sport of powerlifting or olympic weightlifting like heavier isn't necessarily the goal for a lot of people it is yeah. more sensory based like it is like i want to feel better um so whether it's pain management even to a certain sense hypertrophy like you know stability is something that we need to find to produce force in bodybuilding circles a lot of times we just find that stability externally through the use of machines or more stable implements right. like a cable as opposed to like a barbell or a dumbbell where there's more freedom of movement so i think from a stability perspective no matter which discipline we're talking about it's really the understanding the tenets of progression of stability as either a center of mass that's deviating or a base of support that's limiting right so that's how we progress an unstable stimulus i'm i'm thinking i'm just my mind is running through examples of this okay. and one of them is a push-up the stability aspect of the push-up is where people get the the biggest bang for the buck i think because so obviously you get the hypertrophy and you do get strength, but you're limited by how much weight you can have on a push-up. unless you're adding weight. Let's just say the body weight push-up. But what I've seen people is just work on push-ups and then their bench doesn't go up, but it's still strong. Yeah. And I think it's because they are getting some level of stability there or some sort of support. And, yeah. and I, I also like to think about like a handstand hold. So you're, you're saying like, you know, I'm just kind of inverting basically a kettlebell hold. Yeah. There's that, there was a time in my own weightlifting practice where like handstands became easier or handstands were actually directly benefiting my ability to jerk or, or split jerk. And that's really interesting. I've never really thought of it from that lens of a, of a reactionary, like the muscles just kind of firing to support um, and then uh, creating that stability over time rather than being like, okay, now we're going to create the support. Now we're going to create it. Now we're going to create it. It's kind of like a, oh, here it is. And we're, we're stabilizing. I love that idea. Well, it'll limit your ability to find point B if it knows it's not going to be stable in point B. That's why a lot of people lack range of motion, right? So we kind of talk about like the A to B in an overhead movement. The reason people can't get into a B position or an overhead position is their body is uncertain because stability kind of is created through a coefficient of structure and function, mm -hmm. right? Where, where my arms at my side, I don't notice a deficiency in range of motion because I'm not moving, but I don't have difficulty moving my arm and my scapula, you know, in most cases because my scapula and my humerus are very structurally stable, right? They're, they have a lot of articulating surface area. But as I go in the overhead position, this is less structurally stable. Like if I wanted to dislocate George's shoulder, I would start chapter one by putting his arm here. Right now, I've there's compromise in structural stability. Now hit the function. So I say function, I mean like muscles and tendons, right. structure, ligament and bones. Now there's more of a demand of those active or reactive tissues to resist force. But if you can't even get into this position. Yes. 
you won't be able to exert force into that position, right? I've done this without thinking about the process behind it. You've even, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, so the first thing when I teach seminars, um, or when I want to teach anyone how to snatch, I teach them the bottom position of, uh, of the snatch, which is just like a, a deep overhead squat. And so when we think about, there's two two different facets to this. When we think about teaching people how to overhead squat, a lot of times we say, here's the overhead position. Here's you at a completely standing posture. Now we're gonna figure out how we can get you into that position. And, you know, almost always you see a deficiency in mobility. Um, so what I started to do was actually stack plates and try to create tension from the deep squat position. And I, I tell them how challenging, like it's really challenging, right? Like trying to sit with your knees out and get in this position where your hip crease is noticeably below the knees and then be able to manage around in there. And okay, so now imagine we have to free up our thoracic spine and put a barbell overhead. And what I do is I start that from a supported position in the bottom. I do not start it from standing because it doesn't work. Yeah. And then that's how I build the overhead squat. I teach them what it is like in the end spot. I build that mobility in the end range. I don't even like calling it end range. I don't even know if that's the proper terminology, but I teach them where we're headed and then I can reverse engineer how to get there. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because that is purely stability versus strength, right? right? We, we could develop the strength it takes to get down into that range of motion, but we could do this much faster if we just went straight into stability. And there's two parts to that. Like, I really like the way you worded it. Like, understanding where you're going is part of it. And in a, a more concentrated sense, stability is the marriage of that component of understanding where you're going, but also understanding where you are. And that's where the sensory component of muscle comes into play. Like, you know, I, I kettlebell bottom under press is, is a really good example of this. I can change the way someone executes an exercise, like the, the success factor of that by putting them in front of a mirror. So if someone can't do a kettlebell bottom under press, I'll put them in front of a mirror and a lot of times they can because they can compensate with the lacking stability and the, the sensory motor aspect of muscle with our predominant sensory organ, which is our eyes. Like mm -hmm. we're very visually dominant creatures like peregrine falcons, snow owls, and human beings. This is our jam. I put a purple tennis ball on green grass. My great Dane sits there and looks at me like, where the f did it go? Yeah. It's olfactory. It'll smell it. It'll, it'll figure it out. Yeah. But not as visually acute as you have as a great Dane? I do. Oh, You'll you so meet Okay. Um, Sorry. Dave. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's worth the sidebar for yeah. sure. Love yeah. dogs. But so like stability, this muscle spindle reflex is it relays to our brain at a faster transmission speed than any other sensory input faster than pain, like 10 times faster than pain. Whoa. Yeah. So pain, fast pain is like, so pain is no susception, slow pain, which is like a dull ache 0.5 to, I don't know, two meters per second, give or take fast pain. Like put your hand on a stove, like oh, pull it away. Like, oh, like you don't even know if it's hot, but you I mean you 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 perceive it after you've already gone through the act. Max speed of fast pain is like twenty meters per second. The stimulus of your brain or your muscle sending to the brain, your position in space holding like a kettlebell overhead is one hundred and twenty meters per second. At minimum, one hundred twenty to one hundred thirty-five. Wow. So it's ten times faster than perception of pain. Our brain really wants to know where our body is because knowing where you are is the prerequisite to uh, being able to go somewhere. Right. That's very interesting. Do you, so um, if we could get back to the, your clients, right. do you see a lot of them with that strength bias and lack of stability bias? And then all of a sudden, all you have to do is fix the stability aspect. And then all of a sudden it's like, 
whoa, they're much better in the yeah. weight room and much yeah. better on the field. With or- I spend the majority of time with everyone getting them at getting them there for because that's the biggest rock in in almost all cases. Like in the odds, sense, like if a bodybuilder came to me six to eight weeks out from a competition and they were already in pretty good shape, and they just need to get okay, I might not. I don't really care how you do on one leg or single leg RDL or uh, walking lunges or things like that. But if you have a goal that's not so compressed by time that we need to really do away with any extraneous adaptations, 99% of people I'm looking there first because it's our most efficient adaptation. Cause it's something that once I teach you how to do it, you know it for good, right? We're putting on muscles inefficient. Like if I don't train for a week, I'll lose I don't know, 10 pounds, 12 pounds. Because right, my body's like, oh, thank God, we're going to jettison all this useless tissue and use our caloric resources for other bodily processes. Man, proprioception is a hell of a drug. Proprioception, yes. That's yeah, like, the PED. Yeah, like because, and, and it's so, that's so, that honestly blows my mind because we, I think of gaining proprioception by working through a range of motion. But really what you're doing is you're only flexing what you already know. Yeah. You know, you're not coming at it what you don't know, what your muscles don't know. Right. And that is stability stuff. And I guess in my position, it's kind of like I was a little bit nose blind to it. Like I couldn't smell the the fact that I wasn't working on stability with athletes because my sport is so stability based. Yeah. Olympic weightlifting, it's like you just you you this is your zone yeah and this is a tough zone for a lot of people to be in like my my hands over my head my you know like being here that's point that's like where we need to be always so it's just like get good at here and that's just stability 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 so so then what we have to do is work on the strength aspect most of the times a lot of the times we find the technique first then we go okay you need to get stronger because like there has to be some sort of way to move the needle and that's force production Um, and so sometimes when people don't have that stability and they don't have the built up technique, um, they, if you just work on, on strength, you're, you're missing out on something. I guess now that I think about it, when you teach someone how to weightlift just with a barbell, you're teaching them stability first, which is awesome. Um, and then you can work on strength. So you actually start with the stability base, but I work with jujitsu guys, right? And um, I'm I'm not going to teach them uh, how to how to snatch and, and clean and jerk because it's so it's it is a time sink. But we're also going to I have other ways that I want to work with them, and it's a really skillful thing. But I need to figure out other ways to work on stability, not first, but like as much as I do strength. And that's just, it's totally a self check for me because I I have not looked at it that way. I think the biggest factor, especially if you're dealing with fighting athletes, and it's a com- it's a or combat sport athletes at large, but it, it's a common comparison that I'll make all the time is like I'm not well versed in anything other than like a street fight. So any jujitsu crap, any if anyone knows anything, and they catch me in a bathrobe, I'm f- they start pulling on sh- or yeah. whatever. Like okay, like if I can't punch someone in the face, I don't have a very good time with fighting. Right. But and I have friends who are you know, high level, like UFC, mixed martial arts, jujitsu, black belt, whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And they're much smaller than I am. They're much weaker than I am. And they make this misstep. And again, it's in the language. And I correct them every time they go, I can use your strength against you. Like, no, you can't. You can't. I, I grab you by your bathrobe. I'll throw you out. Not you. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're so deceivingly large. <laughs> <laughs> we and my buddy James were talking about this on the way here. 
but you know these are my friends that are like five eight and they're like 150 pounds and yep. they're killers yeah yep. they're like i'll use your strength against you it's like no no no, no. Uh, uh correction you'll use my center of mass against me yeah right so controlling center of mass is a component of stability right so stability is center of mass and its relationship to the base of support so being able to control center of mass is really like the fundamental prerequisite to motor learning so what makes a you know an athlete like a combat sport athlete especially brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestling so dangerous is they have established the prerequisite to motor learning and now not only can they influence and control their center of mass they can influence and control someone else's mm -hmm. right it's like if you ever read the what's it the bobby waitskin's art of learning that book where he goes from like the chess master to the right. push hands tai chi he kind of explains this without really knowing he's explaining it like that push hands tai chi is all about controlling center of mass which in order to control someone else's you have to be able to control your own and that's a really good framework for people to base their training off of is first understanding like hey am i working with someone who is capable is strong enough to control their own center of mass because there are some people who are weaker than the forces of gravity acting on them and for someone who's always been on the leading edge of strength to body weight like i've you know been playing sports my whole life and yep yep in the gym it can be hard to physically empathize with someone who's not at that level like you know so many people get into fitness and weight training well into their like 30s and 40s never been to a gym before and i find the industry at large especially when you kind of adopt this concept it's like you know it's very contextual because someone might need a leg press right they might need a leg press to just get on the board yeah right like back squatting yes. for a new client like if a, and someone walks in and they're untrained and they're overweight we can assume that their center of mass is forward right they have their feet broadened out like they're yep. flared out they have like they're they're extending their lumbar spine they have this like hyperlordotic posture or, or however you want to designate it but what they're doing their nervous system is trying to pull their center of mass back mm -hmm. into a broader base support trying to make them more stable right so it's like when people are relatively detrained i make this comparison it's like you ever played chess yeah right okay but chess and checkers are roughly played on the same board right it's like black mm -hmm. black squares and white squares but the that's like the gym right depending on whether or not your client or whoever you're working with is strong enough to control the their center of mass or are stronger than the forces of gravity acting on them it's going to decide what board you're playing on or what pieces you're playing right. on because you're playing on the same board because with people who are weaker than the forces of gravity acting on them you just want to make little jumps like like checkers right but once we can get to a point where they can control their center of mass like okay now we need now these pieces have more complicated orientations right so yeah so um up with the martial artists that i've worked with um they're you know world level jujitsu players and one of them now is uh in the mma his name's cody Steele. Um, but with these guys, they are absolutely in control of their own center of mass and they, their whole sport is based off of leverage. So it's like, how can I control someone else's center of mass? A lot of times from being underneath them, things like that. Um, but what I, I, I simplified my mission and I said, okay, whatever amount of force you can produce to put into someone else, I want you to produce more. So I just got them stronger. And I think what. And, and that is a case of, because these guys are, their, their proprioception is there, their stability for the most part is there. Like they can walk on their hands and so they can walk on their hands, they can do backflips, like seriously. Um, so these are the guys where it's like, okay, well, if you get around someone's waist and you get a gable grip, like I want you to be able to manage them 
And the stronger you are, the more fitness you'll have to put in force in the ground. You know, it, the, the more you can manipulate your own body weight on your back, like if we put your body weight on your back and you do it for a set of 20, okay, so every effort that you do to now lift someone and move them is less. Um, and if you wanna make a hard effort, you can go harder. So with that in mind, there's a lot, uh, and, and that is directly to combat this idea of what I've, it's a term that I've come up with. It's called weaponized specificity. So a lot of people. Oh, oh I have a term. Go. Right. I have a term yeah. for this. I like, go ahead. So so a lot of people, like um, I call them like functional coaches, functional gurus, they'll continue to move the goalpost away from whatever your methodology is because they have the new subset of methodology that is good so they can i can be like look um i just got one of my athletes like we do this test we go we do pull-ups we do back squat uh body weight how many reps you can you do bench press body weight or how much how many reps can you do like fun stuff like that that actually works but they think it's dumb they think it's well it's not specific to martial arts this is this is bodybuilding strength training bullshit um, you're making your guys more dysfunctional. And then it'll be like, okay, we'll have them do this, you know, like bird dog holding this weight. Ah, see, they, there's the dysfunction. They continue to move. Um, and and that's what I call the weaponized specificity. For instance, if you're, I, I've seen a lot of this, like um, let's say there's a guard called X guard and th you can like swing your legs and then put them into X guard. Okay. Yeah, I follow. And you know, one of these functional coaches would put bands around the leg. So there's resistance. And now we are resisting a specific action. And that's what they're, that's what they deem as good training for your sport is resisting the actual specific, specific thing. They're not, they, they're always the first people to say, when are they going to lay down and press? Or when are they going to back squat? It's not specific. It's not specific. It's not specific. And I, continually say it's like the likelihood that they're going to produce more force based off of a higher back squat an increased back squat is it's it's proven time and time again it's proven i don't need to bring them in here and have them do more of what they do on the mats yeah. not only that they're gonna go they're gonna go crazy some of my workouts and i'm gonna end it here i'm gonna send it to you because i know you're chomping at the bit some of my workouts will will do like a quick warm-up get the blood flowing and we'll back squat for 40 minutes sick you know and then we'll do a, like some lunges uh this will be a, like a lower body day some lunges some rdls maybe some like banded hamstring curls and they'll leave yeah. and it's an hour to an hour 15 max okay that is it that's all the whole workout is and they got stronger they got better and now they're out of there they're not thinking about the weight room they're going back on the mats training I don't want to do anything more than that. I don't want to do anything less than that. You know, there's a roboticist back in like the seventies who came up with this theory or this principle called the uncanny Valley. That I think is really pertinent. And of all sports that I've worked in, the functional guru conundrum that you're running into is probably most prevalent in combat sports. Yes. Like, arm barring a kettlebell or some shit like what are we doing here right or i love oh, one of my favorites is the landmine punch mm -hmm. who 
are you fighting? This person is out of your weight class. Certainly, if you're punching up here, you should not be in a ring with this person. Like, are you fighting giants? Are mm -hmm. you David versus Goliath? So it's funny to see the principle fall on its head. But there's this idea in robotics that I've kind of like adapted to strength training. And it's the theory is called the uncanny valley, which is basically it's a graph that plots our likeness for uh, an animation versus the animations. So I guess our likeness for animation would be on the y-axis and the likeness of that animation to us. So on running along the x-axis, we have an increasing uh, likeness to us, which means it looks more and more like us. And then on the y-axis, we have, do we respond positively to this or, pos or negatively to this? So like, I'll kind of plot these. So like Wally -E would be one that kind of ranks kind of low because it's like, we don't really care. It's a microwave on Mars that kind of beeps and boops or whatever the f but it's like anthropomorphized to a certain degree mm -hmm. right so it's it's not really like us and we don't really like it that much whatever but then you take a step up and make things a little bit more like us and we like it more minions holy people love minions like it's the but still they're yellow things ill-defined with one guy's got one eye and they wear the suspenders and sh so we like them way more than wally if you took a straw poll you'd be like yo minions are wally like Wally, I hope he dies on Mars or whatever. It's like mm -hmm. minions to the death. And then you see things like like Simpsons and Family Guy, like, you know, been around for 25, 30 years. More anthropomorphized than minions, right? But Marge still has like four foot blue hair. Like it's not really a tenable. You're not going to mistake them for a person. And then you get into like a weird like drop off area of like, I don't know. You ever see like like Polar Express is one yes, that comes to creepy. mind. Yeah, yes. right. It's like it's too Tom much. Hanks, but they it's went not. Too far. They they're falling in the uncanny valley, and then you see something like uh, like the movie Ex Machina. You ever seen that? Mm -hmm. Where like the it's a robot, the, the face, but it's like the back of her is all like right. glass yes. and computers. Yep. You're like, whoa! It's more like us along that x axis, and we drop into the bottom of that valley. So we're plotting like Wally, Minions, Simpsons, Polar Express. X machina mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden and the best part about this graph is that it upticks to real human beings right because we really like human beings right mm -hmm. COVID, right. like oh my god people's faces we love people more so that's like the capstone to this graph is like the most they like use us. this for horror as well so oh, like, interesting yeah so if you can like the really scary horror things are things that look human but have a little bit off. Interesting. Very human, but a little bit off. Like their eyes are just a little bit bigger. Their mouth is just a little uh, bit bigger. Yeah, that'll do it. The more that they look not unhuman, that might might be less scary. Uh, the the two human that they look, they're not as like uh, paranormal. Yeah, you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah like a John Wayne Gacy character yes. is not that. You so, look like your so fucking how, neighbor. So how how it then does this relate back to right. functional? So let's think of ex let's think of exercises, right? Like there's general physical properties that we can. Uh, we can get close to in the domain of the weight room. So it's like, you know, does a does a hammer curl look much like something in sports? I don't know. Maybe we flex our elbows, but that's kind of like well, that's like Wally, -E, mm -hmm. right? And then you know, is a like a leg press or a lying hamstring curl? It's like I don't know. Maybe that's like a little bit further along the spectrum, more likable and more like. And then you get something like back squats and all that. But then when you're attaching the end of your broken titleist to a cable stack and working on your follow through it's like whoa we fall it looks too much like the thing we're trying to get better at and from a physiological like adaptation perspective if i load up a cable follow through with my nine iron 
I'm going to change the way I actually recruit and have a negative impact, right? I'm going to overuse in this case, like, I don't know, I'll probably overuse my lats as a trunk rotator rather than my obliques. I'll rather, I'll probably overload my adductors rather than my glutes. So it's going to change the actual yeah. dynamics of how I swing a club, right? So it falls off precipitously from our, like our big rocks that are, are not necessarily like one-to-one -one of what we're looking at. And then at the, the uptick, is the sport itself kind of like you alluded to my my goal is not specific the moment you walk into a right weight room it is non-specific yeah now there are needs that are specific but they can still hold to the general physical preparedness that's what i continually say to these people that continue to move the, the goalpost. they keep saying this it, you know and of course martial arts is like the snottiest snootiest people when it comes to this there is one guy um he, he does soccer stuff and he is so anti-weight room he is so unbelievably anti-weight room um and there's these guys um the goda guys they'll actually show people tearing their acl and it. saying that they were doing typical weight room training um it, it, it's definitely out there and it exists a lot and i'm not done ripping on these people because i could go it in is, on goda yeah it's such look my my thing about charlatans um goda and joel seedman were my first two exposures to people being and me being like angry 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 and then i had to break down what it exactly it is that made me angry about them and they follow this this um this playbook this uh charlatan's playbook you ha in order for them to exist the outgroup cannot so as much as they promote they must attack so if they are to promote goda they have to attack what's the normal thing which is crazy to me, right? Because some of the stuff they talk about, I really, really like. Like, um, you know, dysfunction, you can watch someone's feet and you can say, we were talking about it earlier, someone's feet, if they're collapsed in and they're, it's because they have dysfunction in their feet, you know, they need to work on pronation of the foot and they need to work on their arches and they need to work on their ability to control their knee and then how it goes over their toe and a lot of different things. Um, I love that. And, and I teach a lot of stuff like that. And I will teach a lot of stuff that Goda uses. But I will also try to move the needle as far as force production goes with certified, you know, bona fide movements that have been proven time and time again. The back squat, the deadlift, the front squat, overhead squat, press, what you name it. I'm going to use those things as well. The thing is, Goda drew the line in the sand. And Joel Seidman drew the line in the sand. And they said, anyone who does this is teaching dysfunction, is teaching how people how to injure themselves. And so from that point forward, if you're going to do that, if you're going to come at me like that, I'm going to go back at you. Right? Because this is what I do. And I know it, it. I know it works. And other people know it works. You know, you can't just reinvent the wheel and say that anything before that was like bullshit. I think the hard part is there's no... There's no standardized definition of function. Like, yeah, I mean, I would operate. I think we could all agree that function is how the, the human organism behaves when it walks and breathes. Not necessarily in that order. I would say ventilation mechanics are probably more primary to locomotion mechanics, but they're inextricable to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that. So if, if we want to play that game and go, okay, something is dysfunctional. Does it fly in the face of how ventilation mechanics or locomotion mechanics acts out in the body? At like the musculoskeletal level if yes then yeah we could say it's dysfunctional but then it's like the, the devil's in the dosage right yes yeah like, the, the the dose makes the poison right, right. like a bench press 
the competition style bench press, I would say is dysfunctional because if we're trying to retract the scaps and scapular retraction of the bench press is like a whole nother dumb argument that people don't, don't know how to contextualize. Like if you're Emily who, and you're 113 pounds and you're benching 298 pounds, I'm not really worried about your scapula moving because your arm is barely moving. Yeah. Right. Cause Emily's range bench stroke is yeah. that much. So yeah. it's like, okay, if scapular humor rhythm is a thing, which is not the two to one ratio that everyone thinks it is, it has more to do with the position of the humerus relative to the scapula in the full arc of 180 degree movement. And we're only working in a weird 90 degree range and only for three inches anyhow. So who gives a fuck about the scapula? It's probably not moving. I would say, yeah, that's going to fly in the face of how the scapula is meant to upwardly rotate in gait mechanics and ventilation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need to upwardly rotate the scaps to create posterior expansion to actually breathe through our fucking lungs. So, that you could say is dysfunctional, but like you said, uh, the devils. I mean, I say devils in the dosage. Dose dictates the, uh, the dose makes the poison. Yeah, right. So it's like, yeah, but if someone does that two or three times a week, what's the total? Uh, those 168 hours in a week times that by 60 minutes in an hour times that by 60 seconds a minute, and it's like, does it matter? Like, it's a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of existence. And the thing about the better the athlete the more you can do honestly like whatever the fuck you want because and that's that on that's the one of the best parts of my job now is because what defines a good athlete is their ability to learn motor skills quickly like and i ha- i have to explain this and i have to remind myself this sometimes that when i work with i mean i worked with a yeah, guy dude yesterday's probably on like a 15 16 million dollar contract of football a football guy and he's a guy like he's yeah he's crazy beast. crazy fast and like i'm trying to explain to him like we go through is i need to find the limit i need to find the limit of your current capacity of motor skills because i do if i'm to look at muscles like sensory organs i need to train them at the outer layers or at the outer borders of your skill set right so I'm, i'm adding layers of complexity to movement to find out where we need to work at right just like if i was adding weight to a bar Right. If I was adding weight to a bar, it's like if I give you a hundred and thirty five pound bench press, it's like, well, it's probably not going to do too much. Right. Because you can bench way more than that. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with like trying to train muscles, not from a hypertrophy response, but from a sensory response. I need to start laying out add, a layer layering or adding layers of complexity. And I got to tell them, I'm like, look, man, because they'll get frustrated when we find the wall. Right. And I'm like, look, the progression you just went through takes most mortals like six months and you did it in six reps. Right. So it's like they're uh, really what defines an athlete is their ability to acquire or really their ability to learn. And so that's where I already understand. Like when I train these high, high level athletes, I'm already it's already a, a known thing between us. Like, right. You know how to move. You know how to learn. You, you've proved it time and time again. So what I'm going to try and do is get you fitter. And I and it's a tough term to use fit yeah. and fitness um, because I want you to be able to do more without knowing that you're doing more um, because we can't get you on the mats more than you are. You're already on the mats four hours a day, two hours in the morning, two hours a night. So in between here, like I want you to be able to to obviously, you know, the more power I can give you, the better. But I, I think about someone like. Dante Culpepper. You remember him? Of course. Okay. What a reference. Do I want to make him stronger? He's good. I think he's pretty good. He's good. So what do I do with him? What do you do with a guy who is already strong enough? Is this a question? Yes. Great. Okay. So 
I'm going to wind the clocks back like 10 years ago. You could get away with like referencing biomechanics as a part of your job description. And people are like, get a load of this motherfucker biomechanics. That sounds fancy. Then like five years ago, the industry kind of came around and was like, um, what's biomechanics? <laughs> and then we kind of, they defined it and people are like, well, biomechanics is load management. And that like appeased the masses for a little bit, but I still don't, I don't agree that that is encompassing of what biomechanics as a practice is. So it's like, well, biomechanics is load management either uh, means one or two things to someone, depending on where their vantage point is at. It means load management in the sense of like uh, progressive overload, right? We're going to, you know, two and a half pounds every session or whatever the hell people do. Um, or from a rehab setting, it can be like doing less, but both are true, right? Load management is is figuring out, okay, in this, you know, in a, in a high level athlete jujitsu setting where they're under an incredible amount of fatigue and stress, how do I minimize that? And like the number one thing that I try to, not really try, I don't think it's hard, but the number one thing that I, I stress to trainers and coaches and therapists is getting this word out of your, out of your parlance. It's, oh, we're just going to go light today because that's, that's a, that's a poison, I think, because what I, what I think of biomechanics, I think of, yes, biomechanics is load management through the vehicle of exercise selection. So I, 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 we talked earlier about like, you know, the big rocks we can turn over in different disciplines, whether it's rehab, whether it's, um, you know, speed development, whether it's muscle building, whether it's any number of adaptations that we could be striving for in a, in a physical setting. And what I look at is like, okay, I have an index of exercises in my brain and I can query that exercise like on some chat GPT shit and I can query it very quickly and then be able to organize these exercises in a way that's rank ordered and filtered same way you'd like look for Airbnbs, right? I travel a lot. So I know that the most Airbnbs in a single city in the world is London. Airbnb has 6 million units for rent in the world and there's a 56 to 60,000 units in the city of London alone. That's a lot to filter through, but it's like, I don't know, there's probably 60,000 different exercises you could do, mm -hmm. right? Then, without a doubt. So I need to, I need to be able to query that with, with filtering criteria and Airbnb is a great example. It's like, okay, well maybe I want to stay in Hyde Park. Okay. That 60,000 is now down to like, I don't know, 5,000, 5, sure, whatever. And, um, well, I need Wi-Fi because this sh Mm -hmm. So maybe that knocks down like three. Maybe there's three places in Hyde Park that don't have Wi-Fi. I don't care what part of the year it is. I need air conditioning. And it's like, well, there's a lot of really old buildings there that might not have air conditioning. Right. So maybe that 5,000 is down to like 2,500. And then I'm speaking at some event center or something. And so I would need to be in a proximity of this. And so I just keep querying that and filtering that criteria, that index, until I'm left with like very few exercises, right? Or until I'm left with very few options. So use the example of a phone book. And this is where like a principles-based approach really helps in the face of protocols-based approaches. So uh, Talender, your last name. So it's the 17th letter of a 26-letter alphabet. It's roughly 72% of the way through the alphabet, give or take. Um, so if I were to look you up in the phone book, I would first, and phone books for those of you listening, uh, so George, no, you. So phone books are this thing that <laughs> yeah. like people used to drop <laughs> off like a, on bikes and like put it on your doorstep. It has all the phone numbers of people. You, you've seen one in a museum once? Okay. So phone books, the first thing I'd have to make sure is I'm looking in the right index, like white pages versus yellow pages. Like I'm not gonna be able to find I, mean, I don't know, maybe like Talender Industries in the yellow pages. Right. But if I'm looking for you as a person, I need to you know white, white page, pages, yeah. right? So then I go to T, I don't open up to the first page and go, huh, no to lender. And then go to like B and go, huh, 
no to lender. I go in my mind and we all do this and maybe some of us know the math and some of us don't. I think, all right, 17 out of 26, 72 ish percent, whatever it is. And I'm going to look at a book like this and I'm just going to go, well, half is 50% and then half of half is 75. And that's how I'm going to right around there. Right. So like with a good assessment, what I'm going to think about is like, all right, what is either the loadability or the complexity that this person can handle and what is their end goal? And I'm as I'm asking them questions, I'm really literally like filtering that query, filtering that entire index in my brain and just kind of like flipping through the pages and as they say, like, oh, um, oh yeah, I tore my ICL three years ago. And then that removes a bunch of exercises and brings some exercises right. in. And it's so like, the, 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 with a guy like Dante Culpepper and that's just because growing up for me, seeing him on the Panthers, I'm like, I don't know that I, I can't think of a more specimen human yeah. six foot eight, 300 pounds ran a four five. Is that good? Yeah. That's insane. Scariest individual ever. Like, yeah. so for him, like being that strong, all of a sudden you have to go through that Rolodex and determine all of these different things. And I guess, you know, time of year goal, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's just too, there's too many variables to determine. But I think like if we could, narrow it to like okay we're not getting him stronger let's say let's say it's eight weeks out from season and they're training really hard it's almost too late then even to work because their training load is is super high right like camp like that like you don't want to be working on strength in camp because the adaptation is just too much so it's almost it's weird it's almost like football players like there's very few times where you actually want to drive adaptation like high school. Yeah. Right. Like in a season, in a, in a calendar year. Yeah. I think what you can do is the pursuit of getting stronger is depreciating on the mechanics that it requires to get stronger. Right. So like, for, let's, let's pull on this thread for a while. Cause this is my literally every day of my life. So like if you keep back squatting super, super heavy, like we go to a powerlifting meet and you go in the warm up room, and it's just like a bunch of dudes with like, you know, they're kind of uh, CPAPs and their feet are facing either side of them. They're kind of like waddling about. It's like, well, they ended up that way as a consequence of becoming really strong, right? But it's almost like I had these cars when I was a kid that I would just sit there for hours and just pull it back and it was on a little spring and then I would let it go and, it would, and it would just like go to the other side and I would grab it and I'd bring it back and I'd pull it. The gym, especially in like a field sport or really any sport, I don't say sports specific training, but I think that people will get the 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 reference. Uh, the gym is about pulling them back. Yeah. So on the field, they go forward, right? So like, let's say you use back squat for example, and we're working on, you know, there's like Terrell Suggs or you're just, yeah, I don't yeah. know, Harrison who's pushing like thousand pound sleds. It's like, okay, I don't want him to push a five hundred pound sled if he can push a thousand pound sled. But I know the physical properties that are likely going to be adopted by someone who pushes that. Like he's going to have probably a crazy like bilateral external rotation of his rib cage and he's going to be lacking internal rotation of his hips. He's going to need to reverse both of those to be able to produce the force he has. He's going to have to take this car that can end up over here. But the only way it can end up over here is if I pull it back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, well, how can we manipulate our loading parameters and lifting positions to help promote him improving his internal rotation, okay. his frontal plane movement of the pelvis and things like that. So there's, I don't want to say there's a level of like specificity 
per our conversation earlier specific to the sport no but you're it's it's specific to the individual in that you have to select exercise so you you actually almost circumvent load management entirely and you're like exercise selection exercise selection exercise selection but it's and then when the people who but it it self-selects for people who need more loadable exercise right right like if i have guys we have three kids right now running in the four twos that'll go to indianapolis and and yeah yeah like two kids from cincinnati and a kid from princeton are running in the four twos right now and there's this God, one kid was a, a heptathlete four-year heptathlete and then also a wide receiver what? right so it's like and they all have different presentations like he's the uh he's pretty big i'm not gonna name his name i'm sure anyone can figure it out um but some of the guys are smaller so some of the guys the only way they're going to run faster is if they get stronger right but the, so when you're looking at like their presentation it's like if someone has internal rotation of the hips is probably one of the biggest things that i look at which essentially internal rotation of the hip is a proxy for how your body controls its center of mass on one leg which guess what if you're playing football that's how you make your money controlling your center of mass on one leg yeah right? like and this doubles back to like the conversation we had earlier about strength and stability I'll walk into any college or pro weight room in the world, honestly, at this point, and there'll be glute strengthening, right? And I'll I'll try and teach the difference between stability and strength. And it's like, look, you can put bands around your knees all day, but when you're running down the sidelines and someone's trying to tackle you, you're not going to try and abduct your non-weight-bearing hip and kick the person away. You're going to want to resist force on your stance leg to be able to win this hand battle or to be able to come in like like David Henry and just punch someone in the face mm-hmm. with like the meanest mm-hmm. stiff arm ever. That stiff arm was made at the opposite hip, right? So it's like, that right there is like for someone who's maybe a bit bigger that wants to get faster. It's like, let's make you more stable. Well, if you're bigger and stronger, the stability exercise will manage load away from your strength and pull you down. But if you're someone who's moves really well and has access to that IR, it's like, well, great. Those people are usually really stable, but they're not as strong. So I don't need to do the stability thing. I need to put a bar on their back. Yeah. Right. So that it's, it's such a good and I don't want to say divergent as if it's binary, like one or zero, but it does, especially at the pro level, there does seem to be like two structural archetypes that we're going to see. And so, it, you know, there's there's shades of gray in between, but really good players are, are, are either built for their sport or just amazing compensators. Without naming names, who, like, ha- have you worked with someone who is like incredibly high level athlete who just has what you would consider... I don't even know if the right word is dysfunction, uh, but somebody who's like, I don't even know how you do this. Your movement in the weight room yeah. and everything is horrible. Yeah. Have I you worked with someone like yeah. that? Uh, he's, he was the fastest combine 42 years ago. He's a DN uh, defensive back for the Green Bay Packers. His name's Eric Stokes. Yeah. He's a f- Eric Stokes uh, went to Georgia. He's a f- dog. And he, uh, he ran track and field and played football. He tore both hamstrings and ran a 10-3-4, a 10-3-100 on two torn hamstrings. And he just, the way that he moves, you just, you're I, I, I tell this guy to do a lunge. So here's the thing. There's three, there's three tenets of progression in there's when it comes to load or speed or endurance or whatever, there's, there's endurance or time. 
there's uh, intensity and load, and then there's uh, velocity and speed the, in that order too. So like if I'm teaching a, a, a plane of movement or I'm teaching an exercise in a plane of movement, I'm going to layer those three things on. And I'm going to look at the planes of movement as a, like, you know, there's, there's a sagittal plane, there's frontal plane, the transverse plane. But then as we layer progressions within each plane, it's always going to be endurance first, intensity second, and velocity third. So most of the time, it's not going to get better. Right. Like if it's not working out at like low endurance, it's not going to work out at high endurance and it's not going to work out at low intensity or high intensity. Right. And it's definitely not going to work out at low velocity and then ultimately high velocity. So like it wasn't working out at low. Dude, I did walking lunges with this guy and he he would move the same arm with the same hip. So he would like be frank yeah, yeah. lunging <laughs> down the thing. But somehow, <laughs> dude, like I'll, I'll sit back sometimes and just watch his 40 run. Four, two, three at one hundred ninety eight pounds six foot two stokes is a, a one of the most phenomenal like just figure it out runners i've ever seen like raw speed i think the only other guy that comes to mind that has that raw speed Does, that i've seen is robbie anderson so my old uh mentor in when i was in strength and conditioning at northwestern he was like dude sometimes i i think we don't do anything sometimes yeah. like sometimes i see it like like that like that example and i'm like do we even really help does it really even Matter. you know matter. like you, just it, so it, nihilistic it happens in does that not happen to you like so <laughs> there was the uh alabama strength coach and i i there's a really funny clip of him like talking absolute complete nonsense in uh at some seminar just like we power clean because it's power clean and good and like yeah. like that and he's just a motivator and he's just a screamer and he's a yeller he's a football guy he was like the first guy to make a million dollars as a strength coach and Alabama won like national championship after national championship after national championship. And we watched that together and he's like, man, I don't even like strength and conditioning, like just doesn't it. Just, it's like we can't quantify what is good and what is bad because this guy wins national championships by every metric, by every single one. He is the best strength coach. Right. But he also it's because he works with freaks like the freaks and not only that they can get injured and there's another freak yeah. piles in behind but house. do you ever get that feeling that like nihilist feeling and then you just have, kind of have to like push it away and 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 work you i know? did for a really long time but i think what helps is is just looking at those guys and be like what can i learn right like maybe i'm not the best motivator or like and it's hard to be like super technically savvy and granular at the level of detail and be a good motivator. So I look at a guy like that and before I'd be like, yo, this guy's making a sheet a year. Like that. Like, you know, can you even spell Verkashansky? Like fuck you. Yeah. But then it's like, well, all right. He's still, I'm not, you know, making a million dollars. I don't work for that. So he's doing something the right that I'm not doing. Yeah. And I think that's where like, and I get it, man. Like if you, if you're not, if you're not making bread, like it can be really frustrating to see someone like that. Cause you invest so much time, but it's like when you see the outcome, like, the outcome is not even it's it's not even 40 times at the end of the day like sprinting will provide you an interesting adaptation or potential for adaptation but like i don't know i have gps on my guys every week like how how many times guys are hitting 90 percent and above in max velocity is very rare right so yeah i have to Jer run them throughout jerry the rice never had to and jerry rice what did he run a four six yeah he's he's big really body slow. too really slow but four it's six like, for a starting wide out is unheard of slow and, and he's that's, the greatest of all time. And that's him at his fastest in open field in a combine yeah, setting, right? Exactly. So you're not going to touch that in a no. game, right? Like, unless you get some. Who, who, 
Uh, I heard Wayne Gretzky just like hid in the weight room. I heard he didn't do anything in the weight room. Yeah, I mean, the more the skill of the sport is the the preeminent factor, the less weight training matter. I mean, have a big engine, like if you're Wayne or right. yeah. But I mean, you want to talk cerebral, like Wayne Gretzky had three hockey sticks for every game. Every period, his, his stick was about a half inch shorter. So it kept him engaged in the game because he had to stay lower to the ice when he was tired. Like that's the 4D chess that these guys play at, yeah. right? Like if if you're not looking at, like it's almost like Moneyball, like that Oakland Athletics movie with Jonah mm -hmm. Hill based on the true story. It's like, that's the real stuff. Like for me, like one of my biggest factors in load management is if less these, especially with our pro guys coming in, if the music is loud and it's the best, I don't know if it's Lil Dirk or if it's the baby or something, and they're not dancing in between sets, that tells me more information than a force plate or a Nord board or anything. It's like, you're making 20 million, you're 23 years old and you just bought your fourth Urus. You have a lot to dance about, my friend. And if you're not dancing, it's like, all right, we're gonna shut it down. Like there's intangibles to sport that you can make tangibles if you pay attention. Yeah. The thing is you have to standardize all these other variables first for those to then be apparent to you. Right. right? Especially right. if you're like a self-aware, if you're like, just an unconscious asleep at the wheel like eh, football like thanks coach appreciate it good luck out there then the, whatever just have your fun and make your money and maybe one day the jig will be up or maybe you'll just do that forever and be successful but if you're like diligent and you want to get into the research and you want to do all that it's like your job's not over that now your job begins you've you've checked yeah you have a series of checks and balances that you standardize your approach so then you can start to be more in tune with the stuff that matters so i i talk about this quite a bit with with people in the strength and conditioning world it's like one of the fears that i have is someone up sure and um i the number one person i always think of is like steph curry so it's yeah. like okay so steph curry comes to me for strength and conditioning it's like I don't know what I'm going to do to change you because I don't want to change you at all. Yeah. I don't want to like, does he get injured? Has he been injured? I don't think he gets injured much. No, he's um, not a big guy. So, so, and then also his, his jump shot is perfect. Um, the way that he plays is pretty good. I don't want to, you know, it's like, what do we need to do? So in your instance, like what do you do with somebody who is already successful and has already proven what they're doing is working. What do you do? I try and look downstream at the tissues they're loading most consistently. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's a predictive game. Um, honestly, I've I've leaned more towards like big amounts of data over my career to kind of moneyball it. So, I mean, I have about 25 years of statistics just going back through like research and stuff on every position in the sport of football primarily. So a lot of my approach when I deal with clean slates which is rare. Like it's rare to have someone who doesn't have like an ankle or a knee or a collarbone right. or an AC joint or something like that. But I can tell you with like a certain level of, I mean, statistical accuracy, obviously like there's so many facets of the game that it's not like you're reading a magic eight ball, but like I can tell you a DN third year, the likelihood of succumbing to this frequent injury, which is like an injury that'll happen to a lot of people that doesn't uh, have you missed too many games and uh, then uh, injury of high magnitude, which doesn't happen to as many people, but the man games lost is high because you're out for an entire season. So you you're preventative, it's you're future proof, you're 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 going downstream with it. Yeah. And I also thought like that's it's impossible to have a clean slate. 
you know, like even Steph Curry, I'm sure there's something yeah. going on where he would like. He's rolled an angle. And he can come to you and tell you what he wants. Like a lot of some of these athletes, like, yeah, they just want to be told what to do and what to work on, but they can say what they want to work on. And you can listen to that. I think just because you're the professional and you're the mind behind it doesn't mean that you have to say, shut up, dumb athlete. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think it's important. And I'm sure the opposite happens where like the opposite happens where the athlete comes to you thinking they know what they want they know what they need and you have to kind of slow them down but like i'm sure you have to balance both of both of those I'll things never slow an athlete down i only tell people to shut up when it's general population right because there's oh, a way okay. that's my big thing in the sand like you know someone comes in like oh i think i need like uh i think i need to get like grass on my traps and i look up at my diplomas and i go oh no that's my name shut up yeah yeah right i don't deal with general population much anymore yeah. but when an athlete comes in it's like you know in order to know like someone's body you have to know the body first in a lot of cases but they are such outliers that their body is not the body right like you know a, a, someone doing a franken lunge in the gym it's like yeah most people in commercial gyms might be lunging like stokes was but i'm gonna be like hey maybe you should like you know contralateral shoulder hip all that stuff uh, you know, like walk like a biped ambulatory person, walk the way we've evolved to walk over the last like 1.3 like billion years, whatever the, f the number is. And uh, but if Stokes goes out like, oh, wow, OK, I mean, maybe he'll get a little bit better if you can figure that out at low. But I don't I, I take with much more deference. Like I take much more of the input of someone because the number of times I've heard someone go, man, I just felt like something wasn't right. Like. So let's kind of go back to that idea of like muscles or sensory organs. Well, if they're that good of athlete and they feel something, the acuity of that feeling is so it's so high resolution, right? That that's going to carry more weight where it's like it's so low fi where someone like, you know, who doesn't really train or isn't like one of the best athletes in the world comes in and goes like, oh, I feel this. It's like, yeah, you don't yeah, know what you. Yeah, yeah, you don't know the difference. You can't between make that like assessment. A, yeah, I say that quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, Greg Doucette just made a video saying you you don't have to do the back squat bench and deadlift, which I agree with. You don't have to. But one of the points that he continually made was um if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. Or if it doesn't feel good, you don't have to do it. And the, the, the biggest issue I have is people cannot properly assess, untrained people cannot properly assess whether they feel good when they do a movement or if they like the movement because they have not fully expressed what it means to do that movement the proper way. And they haven't done it enough. They haven't tried it in enough ways. Uh, the example I use is somebody comes in, wants to do a back squat, puts you know 60 kilos on the bar or 135 on the bar, and they get this awkward like half squat where they're really arching and it just feels weird and their legs aren't getting a pump. So that then they get on a, a hack squat or they get on a, a leg press and they go, wow, I just killed my legs. Why would I do a back squat? And that is the assessment that comes out of Greg Doucette, what he said. And so my thing was like, well, you never learned how to do the back squat properly in the first place. And so I think to, to bring it back to what you were saying is like the gen pop, like the more they tell you what they need, the less likelihood that it's actually what they need. And, right. all. and you, that's when you say shut up. But an athlete, you're saying their acuity, their understanding of their own body, it's because it's their profession. You do want to listen to that more often than not. It's the checkers and chess pieces thing, right? Like, you know, they're going to be they're they're kings and, and knights and rooks and all that. They're those pieces on that board. So, like, they know how they move. 
right? Like the little horsey thing moves in an L shape on the, and the one like, little fucking bowling pin thing moves on a diagonal. Like I don't know much about chess, but I know that. So they know how they move, right? Where it's like, if they're people come in and they try and come in with these elaborate, like, Oh, something does something feels off. It doesn't feel right. It's like, you're a checkers piece, right? You do this, yeah. right? Like it's so simple. Like your domain of competency when it comes to movement is so minimal that you don't know, like you can't, you can't express all, I kind of use this analogy where, you know, if we look at muscles like sensory organs and it used the word proprioception earlier in like a very accurate way. And I like that because proprioception is a, is, is a, a, uh, coming together of two free nerve endings in the body, the Golgi tendon organ reflex and the muscle spindle, which I kind of talked about. And then mechanoreception plays a big role in that, not as fast to the brain. So we have proprioception, mechanoreception, and nociception. Those are three per- categories of peripheral inputs that go up to our brain and mix up with some other stuff that create like a, a motion capture image of our body in space, right? Like imagine playing, I don't know, what video game, play video games? What do you play? What the f- is that? Fortnite? Uh, okay, so let's okay, say like, he was like a normal GoldenEye. child. Did you play GoldenEye? Yeah, all okay, right. So imagine like Pierce Brosnan, like the GoldenEye before Daniel Craig. And the way they made that game was they went in a motion capture studio, right? Like mocap. So it's just like a bunch of little like, like ping balls, pong balls. Yeah, 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 like on the Lycra suit, Lord of the Rings. Lord, that it's game like, was it's like Harry, It's like Harry Potter with trees. That game was awesome. So Lord of the Rings. But yeah. so they Andy Circus, Gollum, he mm-hmm. goes in there and puts oh, all these yeah, ping yeah, pong yeah. balls yep. on. And... The athlete who has someone who has better proprioception and mechanoreception gets more stimulus into the brain and it makes for an easier time for that that image to be high resolution. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we look at like an Andy Circus compared to like a high level athlete, when we look at like the CGI that they use to make that character. So many little transmitters, right? So many inputs into the CPU or the computer comparison being so many inputs, trained inputs into our brain. Because like we can, if we have a high resolution motion capture image in our brain, we know where we are. So would you say that an athlete has done more, high uh, has had more motion capture and then has also had more inputs? Has, yeah, as has more inputs because they've done more, they, they've moved more. Right. Right. And because movement, like if we think of this. And then they can be able to assess that because they have that proprioceptive image in their brain. Yeah. So, th- they, so should, they can yeah. be more acute with like, there's something wrong yeah. here because they they have more sensation. Like this is really like eye opening to most people where, um, do you know, it's, we don't have a receptor for uh, wetness. Like if I poured that protein shake on your leg, you would know that your leg is wet, but we don't have a single nerve ending that that triggers binary zero to one. Oh, this is liquid. It's like, you know how uh, hex codes work with colors? Yeah. So like if I were to like grab that, the deepest blue from this little thing on the computer here. You would get a hex code. I would get a hex code, right? And it would be like a six digit number representing a, 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 a level of each of the primary colors. And when you mix the levels of these primary colors together, you're gonna get that particular color. And you can go anywhere in the world and you can type in that hex code. So we have these four mechanoreceptors, which are respond to deep pressure, light touch, skin stretch, and vibration. And so we kind of get a hex code stimulus input based off of different things. And we log it as, oh, I'm in the shower, I know this is wet, but it's really just a certain amount of skin stretch, a certain amount of light touch, a certain amount of vibration, right. and a certain amount of de- so we kind of under oh we're gonna save this. So this is the debate on if is water wet, right? Wetness and, and, is a and saved, sometimes people say it actually isn't. It's not technically, but wetness is only a. It's almost like is cyan pink? 
It's like well, kind of, but it's on the spectrum of pink. all these different. Right. Things. It's it's basically a it's a plot along a, the electromagnetic spectrum is all what pink is right or cyan is and it falls through where the borders of pink are. But let's think of this step further. What are the most popular rehab tools that we see in the gym right now? Uh, probably bands, right? Or are you t- like Theraguns, kinesio tape. Foam rollers, rollers. Yeah. What are, what did I say? The four mechanoreceptor stimulus, deep pressure, vibration, skin stretch, and light touch. So it's like, you know, it's your theraband's not, or your theragun's not breaking up scar tissue, but it is eliciting a primary free nerve ending that is ex- exclusive mechanoreceptor to vibration. Wow. That's not nothing. Yeah. Right. But it's also moving at half the speed of our Golgi tendon organ and muscle spindle reflex. Right. Right. So it's like, yeah, that stuff works kind of, but it doesn't work as good or as prioritized as much as these internal stimuli that we call proprioceptors. Right. So when people are theragunning their quads, their hips, it's like you, as long as the next thing is you elicit those internal reflexes and don't just do that. I'm sweet. Yeah. Right? OK. All right. I think we're going to end it there. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, Jordan, I appreciate you. Thanks coming man. on the show. Thanks for letting me like yell about stuff I care about. Yeah, that's no. really I, I don't get to talk about that stuff at that level very often. So that is I appreciate precisely you being, you're a facilitator. I yeah, I want people to do what they do on this show. Uh, people can find you at the Muscle Doc on Instagram. Also, you've got a bunch of other cool sh- going on so online. Uh, yeah, like all the education stuff is through company www.pre-script.com. Prescript. Um, yeah, so we do. I think we have 12 courses in our calendar this year. Uh, we're going to be in Singapore or no, sorry. We're going to be in Thailand uh, in March. Uh, we're going to be in Seattle in June, May, May and we're going to be in Toronto uh, for our level one certification. It's all applied biomechanics. Do you recommend stuff. people in strength and condition, any sort of anything like to, to come and, and check out prescript? Yeah. I mean, it's really more at the, it's it's principles based yeah. so it's not protocols cool. based like you're gonna have to think a little bit it's cool. not like if this then that but yeah it's it's what you just listen to times 100 okay yeah. all right so if you guys are interested in that check it out prescript and also the muscle doc on uh instagram thank you guys so much for watching thank you jordan for coming Thanks, on and uh that's it